Welcome to the Strategy Mom Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest. We're going to talk all things data, and we're just going to have a really good time. I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. Russell Gentry in the house with me. Russell, thank you for joining me today. Hey, Jason. Good to be here. Thanks, man. I don't know why I always try to put this announcer-type voice every time I do these intros, but I guess everybody does it, so I guess it's just a, a normal thing. <laughs> Kind of like the WWE thing, right? Sunday, yeah. Sunday, 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 Sunday. <laughs> hey, hey, Russell, uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. I think we got some really cool topics. I also think it's very timely that we're doing this podcast because there are some things that are going on in our industry or things that are going to impact our industry in a big way. And I'm so glad that we get a chance to talk about it. But before we kind of get into the depth of our conversation today, I thought it'd be really cool to kick off today's podcast with an origin story. So, um, so Russell, how did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Yeah, so uh, um, actually, it is it is kind of an interesting journey. I'm a retired battalion chief from the fire department in Cincinnati, and uh, when you work with the fire division, one of my responsibilities was state bid pricing for our cars and pickup trucks and that type of thing. So I always had a really good relationship with most of the dealers in Cincinnati. In particular, the uh, one of the largest Chevy stores and one of the largest Ford stores there. So when I was uh, um, retiring and, and cycling out, I was doing the introduction of the individual that was, uh, uh, you know, going to take over my role with the fire division uh, with a particular dealer. And he's like, you know, Russell, what are you going to do? And I said, Well, I'm going to go on and do this and this. And he said, Well, I think you ought to work for us. And I, I kind of him and hauled around a little bit with it. And uh, he was pretty persistent. Um, so I started basically working with them, uh, technology, this was in uh, 1997. So CRM websites, everything was pretty, pretty new then, yeah, but was I was new. always uh, as a hobby or a sideline and interested in that side of work. And that's what I was going to go on to do. So he had me start evaluating contracts and providers that he was having into the dealership. And uh, lo and behold, I started, you know, connecting with one company in particular, uh, made, you know, made basically made buddies and friends with them. And even after that little initial thing that the dealership was done and the project, they won me a contract, that type of thing. I got a call a couple of weeks later and, uh, and, and, you know, hindsight's 2020, but it was with my future business partner of 12 years. And he had gone on to a company in California called uh, AutoWeb. And uh, so he had taken the EVB spot there. Um, he called, he's like, listen, I think you'd be really good at this. And uh, so I went out and talked with them and, and started working with AutoWeb uh, in the early days of lead generation. I was and say, was, that was early web. That was almost like web 1.0, wasn't it? What year was that? Yeah. Yeah. It was the, it was the Dove ice cream bars and the Nerf footballs <laughs> across the office and, you know, unlimited funding and AutoWeb did extremely, extremely well. I learned a ton. Um, so it was very kind of an accidental, you know, trip into it kind of thing. Um, so AutoWeb continued on and I, I progressed up the chain with AutoWeb up to national, national sales director. And then it was sold, uh, to Auto by Tell in 2001. And I was part of a six pack package that went with them uh, for national accounts. And, uh, so we were down there for a, about a year, uh, with the transition and that type of thing. And then, uh, we had always done things with data and lead scrubbing and scoring. And, and back when there wasn't nearly the resources for dealers that they have today, 
and it just fascinated me. And that's kind of what uh, trans, you know, transformed me into my next gig, which is we founded uh, four companies and uh, Dealer Vault was one of them, Athenacom, uh, and they were all based around uh, syndication, dealership owner of the data, hygiene, modeling, analytics, and that's kind of how it took off. Now, I, I think for you were very early on, I think, pioneering uh, data within the dealership. I mean, the, the data collection has it was always a big part of our business, but uh, for, for as an industry, we didn't necessarily know what the hell to do with it all, right? And, yeah. you know, I, I'm just so glad we were able to connect because not only were you early in the, the data mining or, the, or understanding how we how we interact with the data, you're also incredibly passionate about, uh, passionate about uh, securing it. Yeah. yeah and, 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 I, and I love that. And I hate to say it, you know, Russell, but, you know, I've, I've talked to some other data companies that uh, securing or I would say more abusing is probably the better term. To, to yeah. use, but but I, I think for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now, uh, before we really, because we're going to use the word data a lot in yeah. today's yeah. podcast. <laughs> it's going to happen, so right? It's, it's going <laughs> to happen a lot. So maybe we should do like a little like a data 101 explanation. Yeah. You know, for yeah. all the dealers out there that are watching and listening right now, Russell, like how do you, how do you define uh, data to a dealership? Yeah, so uh, you're spot on about the, the data in the dealership. They're sitting on a gold mine when it comes to their transactional data, their customer history, everything that's in their DMS, uh, and, and it's and then the Rolodex, if you will, or the digital Rolodex. And I think there's a lot of confusion at times when you talk about different data sources, uh, first-party data, which is the data that the dealer has an interaction or a, a first-party relationship with, and then third-party, which is other data sources that they can use that are outside of their world or their realm outside of their DMS that either empowers their current data set or it, it makes it actionable or it hygienes it. So there's really kind of two worlds that the dealers need to be uh, very versed in, which is their first party data and then third party data sets and how those data sets all interact. The second part of data 101 definitely, as you pointed out, would be security. Um, you know, from 1997, when we began you know, lead scrubbing and people putting in information on websites, there were no regulations governing consumer privacy. No and it was not else. that anybody was doing anything wrong. It just really hadn't seen, the industry hadn't seen a need for those kind of things. To date, uh, everybody's familiar with CCPA, uh, but CCPA is just because it's California and everybody, you know, a lot of cars are sold out of California. But there are numerous other state laws and federal laws that regulate the use of this data. So the second thing, the dealers should always be concerned about is not only the security of the data on behalf of their consumers, but you know applicable uses and how they can use the data effectively. And I, I have to admit, um, as 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 a dealer body, you know, I've had the opportunity to be in uh, hundreds and hundreds and almost thousands of dealerships, you know, during my career, is that um, they don't necessarily understand the security aspect of it. In fact, I've actually seen some pretty gross misusage of data where it's just literally being just emailed back and forth between providers that has transaction data and customer data and I've seen finance data thrown in as an attachment in an email and I'm just like no <laughs> like what are you doing <laughs> you know um but but no I think we get that's probably a whole nother podcast around yeah, data, data security, security. um yeah, we could right? so, literally okay. just do a whole nother one there but um but but I'm glad you like uh, thank you for the kind of that one-on-one because I, I think dealers kind of do need to understand that there is kind of what, what we're talking about data there is you know different types of data that we're talking about um and let's talk about that I guess the data uh for us is kind of our our, our website our website data is a big one for us right 
And yeah. that seems to be in the news a lot right now. There's mm -hmm. a lot of things changing. Look, we're from a marketing perspective, and I've been on the marketing side of the business for a very long time. Our industry is pretty much built on a remarketing cookie strategy. You know, yeah. we, we um, will kind of half-ass a ad out there to drive traffic to our site, but we don't necessarily worry so much about it because we're going to literally remarket to you thousands of times, hundreds of times over. Everywhere so, you go, you're going to see it. Everywhere you go, ad. you're going to see it. And, so, and, and, and that, that frequency is a great strategy. It makes sense. It's, that's not a new strategy. That reach over frequencies has been a strategy for a long time. Um, but, you know, digitally, everything's changing. I mean, we're, we're yeah. entering an era of, uh, I'm, I'm going to say cheap digital marketing is going away. So, you know, there, there are words being used out there like, like cookie apocalypse, um, <laughs> which I think you've been quoted saying once before. And, you know, the one I, I've heard recently was, was cookie war. And, and I don't think dealers necessarily understand when they hear these things and what that impact can actually be on their market, on the marketing efforts that they typically have been doing for the last, you know, seven to 10 years. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. How do you define the cookie apocalypse <laughs> yeah so the cookie apocalypse is the fact that uh, earlier we mentioned kind of the regulation changes and the way that data is used harvested leveraged etc and uh, in recent years especially over the last 24 months um, the major browser providers out there uh, chrome and safari have made significant changes that dramatically impact the ability for digital remarketers to use cookies um, to retarget individuals. So taking a step back on the cookie piece, um, we've all become very comfortable with the fact that if I go to, uh, you know, uh, Jason Ford and I'm looking at F-150 trucks and I leave that website and I go over to Hilton Vacation Club or I go to ESPN or ABC News, all of a sudden I see an ad pop up um, and that's the digital retargeting. So there was a cookie, uh, which is a piece of code that's been placed uh, into my computer environment that allows that digital remarketer to identify me and re-engage re me with ads. So that strategy um, is starting to go away because third-party cookies are going to become you know, uh, uh, obsolete, if you will, because Chrome and Safari are going to restrict the usage where third-party party cookies aren't going to be available in those major browsers. So particularly the impact that's going to have on dealers and, and digital remarketers is that it's going to limit the audience uh, for those anonymous, uh, you know, identifications and those redisplay of ads, which is that drip marketing that you mentioned that the dealers benefit from today. So, you know, we mentioned about first-party data with the owner, with the dealers. Um, it's going to become more and more important that they own their own data, that they own their first party, mm -hmm. they know who their audiences are, uh, so that they can take those audiences and reload them into all the normal channels like Facebook and and the other uh, digital marketing platforms. No, it, it is. I mean, we're going to have to, I think as an industry, we've been so focused on acquisition, 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 like we're constantly acquiring, like the amount of money that we spend as an industry to acquire. And now we're going to have to kind of go back and say, you know what, that, that strategy has to change. You yeah. know, I'm going to have to focus a lot more on the data that I have. I'm going to have to focus a lot more on the customers that I have. I'm actually totally okay with this, by the way. I actually yeah. see a lot of positive happening happening out of this you know it's like um i was with the dealer the other day they're like well, what does this mean I'm like well you can't you're like we've already seen remarketing buckets go from here to here you know yeah, in, yeah. in the last six months like last six nine months 
And, you know, they're like, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm like, well, you're going to have to focus more on your existing customer database and, and how to utilize that database. And, but we've been for such a long time, we've been so focused on just acquisition that now we actually have to actually kind of connect with the people that have transact with us in some way, either they've gone to our website and filled out a form or they've serviced with us or they bought a part from us. And it's like, you know, so I, I'm actually totally cool with this. Um, you know, the funny thing is, you know, who's ultimately going to win here is just the marketing companies, the networks themselves, right? I mean, I love the fact that I'm like seeing all of these kind of uh, uh, press releases where, where Facebook or Google and they're just like, oh, we're sorry, guys. I know this sucks. And I'm thinking like you guys are literally laughing in the background because you are going to make so much more money. They're going to control the audiences at this point, right? Well, exactly. I mean, I mean, think about that. I mean, I mean, for the last two, almost three years, I have been screaming on the top of my voice. All right. Audience specific, creative audience specific targeting. You know, you want to target that 45 year old male who enjoys hunting and is a Packers fan, and you want to present them with a piece of creative that has that type, that, that has those um, uh, hobbies in it with a pickup truck, you're able to do that. Yeah. I can't now. Like, yeah. You know, it's like, so a lot, we've, there's just been so many changes, but I think they're good changes. So I actually think it's a good thing for our industry moving forward. I'm curious to hear what you kind of think, you know, is, do you think this is a good thing or a bad thing kind of moving forward for our industry? Yeah, so I think it's a good thing and a bad thing. I don't mean to be coy about sure. it, but I think the good part of it is is exactly what you said, which is it's going to create an awareness with dealers that says, listen, this is what we have to do. We have to focus on our existing database. Then we have to be very, very diligent with our offerings and our customer service and what mm -hmm. we're putting out there to get new people into the funnel and then repeat that process over again. So that's the good part. I think it's going to be good for dealers. It's uh, it's going to be painful to the remarketers, and particularly in this time with COVID. I mean, you mentioned about website traffic yeah. and stuff. I mean, e-commerce as a whole, not just in automotive, but uh, website traffic because of different various states, especially in the United States with lockdowns and stuff, is is soaring, right? So you're going to have to get better with the ability of doing online chat and doing things through your website that becomes a, basically your virtual showroom. So that's going to be the good part for dealers. The bad part is also what you just pointed out, which is, is that it gives an immense amount of control to certain tech firms who control those audiences. So it looks like, unfortunately, um, you know, I hope I don't upset too many people out there, but it, it, you know, it looks like it's a good thing. It's on the basis of the consumers. It's really more like a boa constrictor because they're going to keep pulling those things in and they do know who those audiences are. And at the multi-billion dollars, uh, particularly on you know, on, on the Google side of things for automotive advertising. So I think that's kind of the, the bad part of it. Is it nefarious? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's commerce, it's capitalism, but it definitely is not powered 100% in the best interest of the consumer, I guess, is my, my view. Well, not only the best interest of the consumer, but not also the best interest of the dealer, right? Exactly. I, mean, yeah. I, mean, I mean, think about this. We're, we're talking right now, we're talking about, you know, just the beginning war. This is like the first war. The cookie war is the first war, right? Yeah. What's going to end up happening over the next three to five years is we're going to call it the algorithm war, mm -hmm. right? And it's yeah. who has the better algorithm. That's great. Who, I like that. Can I use that 100%, one? 100%. Please. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, because that's what it is, right? It's And, yeah. and, and you know what the funny thing? It, it's no longer Google and Facebook that are necessarily going to provide all these algorithms, right? right. You got CarGurus. You got AutoTrader. You got, you know, um, th these big... Uh, marketplaces that are collecting a tremendous amount of behavioral data around the people that are interacting with them, and they're creating their own 
algorithms and they're creating their own uh, third party ones. That one I can, that one actually drives me a little bit nuts. Um, been warned to watch what i say around some of those uh some of those names <laughs> but <laughs> yes you know the only reason those third party uh market or the sorry the third party those marketplaces have that data is because it's dealers we're willing to actually put our inventory we actually pay to put our inventory on there so, so the, you know not the only we, is the content right i mean that's that's what the eyeballs want to see so exactly. it's the monetization of the dealer's inventory that he floor plans he controls the pictures <laughs> and the reason and that's what drives the traffic right yeah, I mean, literally, the dealers are, are what created these marketplaces. Yes. But now these marketplaces have gotten so big for their britches that they feel like they're going to control the market. It's like, no, 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 no. All right? You know, the only reason you exist is because as a dealer, all right, the time, the money, the effort I put into merchandising my inventory, buying my inventory, pricing my inventory, describe, describing my inventory, all right, I gifted that and actually paid you to do that. And now, now you're actually gonna, so wait, I. so this is the part where I get really kind of antsy on these and I'll, I'll digress in a minute, but you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, so as a dealer, I paid to put my data on your site and then you're going to resell me that data back. Yeah, when and, somebody responds to the merchandise that I'm putting forth, right? Wow, what a deal. <laughs> you know, there's one little side of my brain that's like, damn, good yeah, for yeah. you. Um, because what a hell of a business model, right? Then the other yeah. side of my brain is like, F you, like, come on, don't do, like, it's just, it's doing this to dealers. And I think that kind of goes into like, you know, our, kind of our next topic is like, you know, how do dealers, you know, control their own data? I mean, this is, this is a big topic and there's lawsuits going on right now mm -hmm. about this. Right. It have been going on for actually, gosh, how long has that suit? been going on right now for with Reddit. Uh, late late 2015 uh, it, i think it started it was filed in too late 2015 with two of the largest dms providers in the space yeah you know what for everybody out there that's uh listening watching maybe don't know kind of the context behind that maybe could you give us kind of a brief explanation of what's going on there yeah yeah sure so um as i indicated uh, at the uh, at the top of the show um you know originally when i made the transition from auto web and auto by telling the lead space uh, I was involved in the foundation of some companies that started uh, uh, data syndication. So a lot of the providers that we're talking about right now require that data to be moved from one spot to another on behalf of the dealer out of their DMS system, whether it's inventory or it's their service data or whatever, to give them to third parties so that they can reuse that data on behalf of the dealer, right? So those platforms, the dealers, as we know, and most of the audience knows, EMS, dealer management systems, there's... Mm -hmm several uh, companies in the space. Um, in particular, there's two or three big ones. And uh, the, the battle has been over the years of the control of the data on behalf of the dealers. And it's always been my humble opinion and uh, the people I uh, surround myself with that the dealers own this dealer. It's, it's their data that they are syndicating for their use and 100%. that they should be in total control of it. So at the heart of this uh, lawsuit, uh, this was that Two of the larger DMS companies um, were actually worked together to impact the dealer's ability to use other uh, services in the market space to do it cheaper and more effective. They just basically removed their choice. So it yep. turned out being an antitrust case. And you know what drives me absolutely nuts is that, you know, uh, it's a DMS. It's a data management software. We pay them. We, we pay them. And you know what? As a dealer, you know, um, I didn't pay a little. I paid a lot. And, mm -hmm. you know, we pay, I mean, 
millions and mil hundreds of millions of dollars a year for these companies to manage our data, then they have the audacity to dictate to us how the hell we can use it? Exactly. And it's a platform to print contracts. It's a platform to send information to banks. It's a platform to uh, intake inventory and, and then sell to customers and collect credit cards for service transactions. So everything that happens at the core of that platform, the fuel for that platform is the data that the dealer puts in. Just exactly. like what you mentioned on the inventory, it's a merchandising system, right? So those cars, those I would not go to those inventory third-party sites unless I was looking for that vehicle or that truck or that sport mm -hmm. utility. If they didn't have that, they wouldn't have the traffic. So it really all kind of, you know, maybe I, or you and I are very passionate about this, but it all really boils down to the fact that at the heart of all of this is the dealers, right? This is this they should be at the center of this universe, and everything else should work uh, in conjunction with supporting that that star of the program, if you will. You know, I 100% with you. But then I, you know, I like as a dealer, I was a dealer principal. Um, you look at these companies, we're talking DMS, we're talking marketplaces, anybody that wants to kind of manage your data for you. Right. right? And then Russell, I mean, you've seen these, these uh, data compliancy policies or these uh, policy data agreements. I mean, they're insane. They are. And they're, they're, yeah. they're 37 pages long with language that is never used in the dealer world. And I, I, I hate to say it, but I, I could probably, I don't know if I can count on two hands if i know one dealer that's actually read their data agreement from a, a from a dms or from a marketplace recently so then that kind of begs the question like as dealers like how do we control you know our, our own data like how do we take that back and i know you got some thoughts on this yeah so i mean for the dealers it, it is getting a little a little better than it used to be for the dealers uh, but you're absolutely right these agreements um, traditionally have been written in a format that protected the technology from breaches and all this mm -hmm. other kind of stuff. When at the end of the day, there's just as much liability for the dealer as it is for the platform. So, you know, they have to make sure that they have certain provisions in place. It is, it is getting better for them. Some of these agreements are becoming more mutual in nature just because of the upcries. There's been a lot of litigation in certain states uh, where dealer associations and the state have banded together to put certain things in place that required certain procedures. So then the technology companies and the marketing companies had to conform if they were going to do business in those states. So those are all good things. But from a dealer perspective, um, you know, I, I think that there's two to three things that are absolute that have to be etched in stone for them. And they have to have awareness and reporting of who has access to the system um, at all times. So, you know, if there's a third party that's being bolted on or bolted off, they have to understand, you know, how that data is being accessed, uh, who sees that data, where's that data going. And that, mm -hmm. that, so that gatekeeper is, is the biggest thing for a dealership. Um, the second part would be is, is that just, uh, you know, everybody says uh, more data is better or big data. And we throw all these buzzwords and oh, things gosh, around, yeah. but honestly, um, there's not a, not a lot of use for some of the data elements that the dealer has to collect that you don't really need to remarket and retarget from and they're exposure points for you. So just make sure you limit your access to individuals to have that or, or not even have it in those systems or make sure that the data dictionary and the data that's coming in and out of the system with your partners um, doesn't include those elements. And those, those elements are pretty self-evident. We want to protect anything that's identified as, you know, uh, uh, social security numbers and data births and things that would be problematic for a consumer if those systems were breached. 100%. I mean, I just saw, um, I just read a data agreement uh, right now for a, a new marketplace that's coming up. And one of my dealer clients reached out to me and go, Hey, have you heard about these guys? I'm like, what are you 
kind of, but I think they're pretty small. It goes, well, I'm going to start syndicating some of my stuff to them. And I said, well, send me over the agreement because it's free, right? I don't think anybody understands that nothing's free. <laughs> Do you know no. what I mean? Free apps, right? People don't realize <laughs> when they download the app and you click the side of your phone uh, and you get that 99 cent app, it's free. It's not free. There's nothing <laughs> free, right? So the second he told me, I'm like, no, like nothing's free. Send me over the agreement. I'll just take a quick glance at it. And and sure enough, in the agreement, it clearly stated that the company was going to resell the data out to yeah. other companies because that's how they're going to make it. I mean, like, I mean, like, you know, Facebook is the perfect example of this. You know, Facebook at one is probably point, the premier example of it. It, it is and a premier, right? you think back, it, it's hard to for the dealers to think back now, but um, you know, Facebook. It was weird. I mean, here was this this social marketplace or social yep. uh, community for people to go to and do things. And all of a sudden, we're typing in keywords like, uh, hey, I was down at Five Guys Burgers and it was a terrific sandwich. And, uh, hey, I'm going to go pick up my new car this weekend at Gentry Ford <laughs> and do this. And every one of those keywords, as uh, as weird as it sounds, becomes a, monet a monetized piece of actionable data on the behalf of that, that consumer, right? Yep. So now all of a sudden we can start indexing or they started indexing that data. And that's what allows them, you mentioned it before, to build algorithms for retargeting. Yep. And it turned into a multi-billion dollar industry. That's what they survive on. So nothing is free. Sure, we get to go on there and post our birthday photos and your vacation to Tahoe and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, all the rest of it under those agreements, those end user agreements, is being utilized uh, for retargeting and for uh, marketing. It, it, it is, you know, I mean, I just recently downloaded a new fitness app, right? I have a new watch. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm defining the process. I'm committing to the goal. I'm going to And of course, you've got right? the appropriate accessory band for it. Oh, yes, I know. You know what? They know me, right? Like, I mean, I think <laughs> I saw an ad for an orange one. So either it was really good retargeting or it was total serendipity. Um, but I was like, okay, I don't even know which one that is, but that's the one I want. Um, so I'll take that one. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. like when I was downloading the app, it actually had an option of a free option or a $69.99 option. And I'm like, okay, what's the difference? And sure enough, it was the data. Yeah. It was how yeah, the data yeah. was being like in the free option. You know, my data was being uh, shared with other companies within the fitness space so that they can target me and sell me protein powders or um, athletica wear or something along that lines. Right. And so like, of course me, I had no problem with them. I'm just like, 70 bucks i don't really care right that's right um but there's, but, there's two models to your point yes. right so that model you pay up and the data is shared um and then the other model is is that when you're going to um that that behavior and everything else is allowed to use an anonymous fashion for retargeting right so both those are monetization structures that these platforms use again it's not that it ever became nefarious it's just that uh, so much of this data with the Internet of Things and watches and mm -hmm. uh, per, you know, phones and laptops and iPads, all of it with that interconnectivity, there's a lot of data that goes back and forth. And uh, and that, I think that's the key part for the dealers is, is that this is a very, very good moment in time for them. This allows them, empower their data to allow them to serve the, uh, the their customers in the best way they can, being very intuitive. Um, service menu schedules, everything that they would need to communicate with the customer. If the customer wants to know. Let, let's let's make sure that data powers those things, right? For sure. Actually, I, I got to be honest with you. There is some elements that I am actually super excited about. Like I've been reading oh, yeah. a lot on vehicle connectivity, mm -hmm. and you know, I mean, these the, the cars now are just they're just driving around smart smartphones, you know, yeah. and, and the amount of data. Now, I mean, very soon, very soon. 
your car is going to come with a battery unit. Mm -hmm. You know, and and there might actually be an associated discount depending if you agree to the data agreement or you don't <laughs> agree with the data agreement, right? The, the insurance companies are doing that today, right? Well, so they're already doing the amount of time you drive the car and the way that you drive the car. If you're willing to share that with the insurance company, it comes with associated discounts. And Jason, that's a perfect example right there of what you bring up of, of how the data is used for good purposes, right? I mean, let's let's make sure that we leverage those things. It doesn't always have to be uh, doom and gloom and nefarious, you know? And, and that's why I kind of wanted to bring it up, right? Because I think a lot of times when we have conversations around data, it, it, it can easily become a very negative. It's scary. Oh, yeah. You know, you know yeah. and it's very big brother and it's like, ooh, someone's watching us. But, you know, th look, these vehicles and their level of connectivity are actually just going to provide a, a much better experience and it's going to give the manufacturers the data so that, that that can be passed on to the dealers to handle that better experience, right? Like, you know, a dealership's going to know you know, if this car is having tranny issues without the customer even picking up the phone call and saying that something feels weird, right? Like, that's a great experience. I mean, think about that. If I if I had a phone call right now, you know, and my Armada outside is having transmission issues, how cool would it be? I think every Armada is having transmission issues anyways. Um, <laughs> but, but but how 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 much, how an amazing experience all right, a data-driven, amazing experience. If the dealer called me and said, "Hey, Jay, your car told us that there, it, there, there's something between gear one and gear two. It seems to be slipping right around 1100 RPMs. We want you to to come in, and we're going to take a look at it." Like, I, as a consumer, I would be like, "You got it, man. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah that's that's yeah. my dealer, right? You know." Yeah. So yeah, look, I, I definitely think you know we talk about we talk about data, and there's just a lot of exciting things that are on the horizon with that. Um, let's go, let's go. Jason, if I could real yes, quick, please. I just, uh, so to that point, um, this is a really cool thing that, uh, to, to your point about leveraging the data that we think, and is yet another example of how the consumers. So one of the models that we've recently worked on and built, uh, in the service side of things for dealers, it's a very traditional calendar based model. So mm, every is. six months you get a coupon for the uh, cabin filter, you have changed your oil. It's all built off the OEM service menu schedules that say, uh, it's all time-based, right? Uh, by taking a lot of this data that we're able to harness uh, from the location-based intelligence data set, um, the dealers are able to communicate to the consumers in a much more effective way based on their mileage, right? So yeah, instead of that. just getting it every six months and they are all of a sudden, they're a 22,000 mile uh, a month customer, they're getting uh, those communications, like you said, from the dealership in a much more curated uh, focused way that's helpful to the consumer. So, so that's you know just real quickly. Sorry, another example of how the data can be used for good. And and honestly, I think that's like someone asked me the other day what what excites me right now in the tech side, in the automotive space, and that was that was the example. That's what came up. You know, I was actually uh, talking to a very large U.S. automotive group recently. That um, you know those those little nods that we were talking about that insurance companies are using. All right, they're ordering them um, from China for like 18, 22 bucks a piece, sticking right. them in their dealers' cars and or, or into their customers' cars and collecting, you know, the mileage information, the hours on the engine, just, just not a whole lot, about five or seven different points of information, but enough information that they can just provide a much better experience, right? Right. So, I mean, right. you know, I, the customer pulls up, I know that they pulled up. I go out. I just don't go. Hey, you're welcome here for your. You're here for your service appointment. It's like, no. Hey, Mr. Johnson, it's good to see you. I'm glad you came by. Right? Like we just we 
you know these things. So data can be used to provide amazing customer experiences. Um, I'm curious, have you, if, and I like that actually, let's, let's roll with that. I wanna go one little step farther. I'm sure that you probably had some great data experience or data-driven experiences. You know, can you give me an example or two of a data-driven experience that you've had? Yeah, so um, my partner and I, we're a South Florida-based company. So uh, we're in Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, um, you know, a lot of our clients love to come to South Florida, particularly if they're in the colder parts of the country uh, yeah. when we're meeting with them, et cetera. Um, and so we, you know, have a lot of restaurants that we take clients to and that type of thing. And uh, there is one particular restaurant here in Fort Lauderdale that as soon as we check in at the hostess stand, you know, they've got your cell phone number, it's tied into their database and they have a lot of preferences already set up. You know, for example, they'll say, oh, Mr. Gentry, the last two times you've been out here, you've sat out on the patio. It's a little cooler tonight. You still want to sit out on the patio? Or would you oh, like so to have indoor cool. seating? Um, and it would also say, hey, you know, Mr. Gentry, uh, uh, last time you were here, you had a particular bottle of wine uh, for the table. Um, would you like us to go ahead and place that order while we're getting you seated? So it's that customization that where you walk right up to the creepy line with the consumer, but don't step over it. That yes. excites me, right? It makes my life more more full and, and it, it, it makes things easier. That's what the data, for me, that's an exciting thing. And, and you know it does it excites the customer i remember i pulled into a hotel uh last year same thing um and i didn't i didn't even think about it but when i was uh setting up the hotel it did ask me for the make of my car and my license plate i just assumed it was for parking purposes right and right. later on i realized what it was when i pulled up they put my plate number into the computer and they knew my name so they yeah. came and opened the door and they're like hey mr harris welcome back and i'm like Exactly, and it, got, right? and it, it, it took me a little while to figure out how, how, how they connected the dots. And then I realized I had put my plate number in, and, but it was a simple usage of data, but an mm -hmm. incredibly impactful experience when someone opened that door and was like, hey, welcome back, Mr. Harris. And it's just like, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um, and we've used, I mean, there's been a lot of cases. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, back to the data 101 piece real quickly, that there's a lot of talk out there. We use the word DMS or data management system or dealer management system for the autom tier three automotive. But, mm -hmm. you know, we are blessed to work in a lot of industries, hospitality, RV, marine, power sports. And there's a lot of talk out there today of uh, CDPs or customer data platforms, which is the central environment that you speak of that takes multiple data elements in, whether it's from a transactional basis of the consumer, whether it's uh, third party data where it's collected, but it's permissible use to attach it to that, um, or it's the behavioral stuff, right? And, and when that stuff is all centralized, it's indexed, it's given consistent ID measures, it can be leveraged exactly like you say, and it can be for the good of the customer. Um, and, and, you know, there's loyalty club programs and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. the, 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 that program, those programs have always, Jason, been there for years, even back in the early days, like we were talking about with the V programs. Oh, sure. But it's been with the technology and the leveraging and being able to visualize the data, being able to access the data. That was all very, very expensive back then. I remember... You know, the original AOL discs that when dealers would get onto the AutoWeb program, we'd go to the <laughs> to the to the store and they'd get that yellow disc and the modem, you know, and that's how they would get log in and get their leads. Now it's just a foregone conclusion that they can get them right off their phone, right? So I actually worked at a radio shack. I'm dating. Oh, myself. there you go. Yeah. And uh, well, they were right that, there by the was, cash register, right? right? The cash on the register. It was a hot seller. It was yeah. it was AOL disc. Um gosh, man, yeah, I remember those days. Uh, I don't but, know if this is so good though. It's really dating everything at this point, right? So, I know, right? <laughs> you know, um, I, I was kind of thinking a little bit, you know, kind of going back to that cookie war conversation we were having. Um, yeah. 
there's there's another element to the marketing side that I, I wanted to ask you. A couple of the questions I want to ask you kind of go back to that is is um you know how does this affect kind of agency ad word, you know, or ad waste? Let's add sorry, agency ad waste. And mm-hmm. you know, how does this kind of affect, you know, kind of our geofencing efforts? Because yeah. I, I think what it is is that if dealers haven't done it yet, um starting in 2021, we have to revamp our entire digital strategy. You know, I, I, I mean, I think a lot of dealers just kind of, they, they hear bits and pieces and then they just kind of go, ah, my agency will take care of it. I, I'm surprised to find out not a lot of people are having these discussions and making these adjustments. So, you know, how does something like this uh, affect uh, agency ad waste? First of all, I guess we can define that. And then also, how does that affect, you know, our oh so popular geofencing efforts? Yeah, so... So the, the ad waste piece, and I, I think you're right. I mean, it's kind of like this. Um, some people talk about it, but not nearly as many as you would think would mm-hmm. want to have insight into it and that type of thing. Unfortunately, and anybody that knows uh, myself and my partner, Greg, and and the things that we work on, um, we're very, very big into identity resolution and making sure that first off, the, the ad is being displayed through the agency to a human being and not a bot, right? And then uh, the second part is, is that it's really that human being and they're in the DMA or they're within the dealership's geographic region. So it's making it, it's a purposeful communication. It's not just being wasted, right? So, you know, the the geofencing piece of it, unfortunately, there's a lot of, um, it's it, you used it when we were chatting offline about the wild, wild west. And, and that's what happens is there's a large percentage of this traffic through digital display. It's just not accountable. And it, it's it's not human beings. It's not in the DMA. So there's a big spend, you know, waste spend there. The third-party cookie and the nominization of that data allows that to kind of happen. And the dealers can't really tell that it's Russ or it's Jason or it's George yep. or it's Betty. So, you know, this switch away from those cookies where it's just blind retargeting and getting over to custom audience data sets and owning your first-party data and knowing who those audiences are is going to raise the level of accountability. So I think Agreed. by default, it's going to decrease um, you know, the digital waste and, and it's going to be much more effective communications. I mean, we are, um, you know, in a very self-serving manner. I mean, we are, we are away from the cookie retargeting, uh, away from the IP retargeting, away from HTML5 retargeting because of all the vulnerabilities of those to be inaccurate, not be in the right geo, that type of thing. So the tech and the data that we work on in particular, like with our, our smart pixel product doesn't use cookies to retarget. Um, it, it, it definitely identifies or de-anonymizes the person that goes to the website, so the dealer knows it's Russ or it's Jason. So, so it's identifying the individual, not the device. Exactly. It, it uses innocuous elements in a compliant first-party manner, clearing conspicuous choice for the consumer. So it takes those elements from the device, it moves it over, but then it aligns it with what we talked about, these offline uh, mm-hmm. data sources. And it, it gives the dealer a wealth of information, up to 306 data attributes that the dealer can use to create, like you said, these custom experiences for these consumers. And, and I love the U.S. for that, right? Yeah. And, you know, it, yeah. It's, in Canada, it gets very tricky um, because of our uh, communication policies. You know, we have this yep. thing called castle compliancy, which pretty much states if I actually haven't had a documented transaction with the individual in the last 18 months, um, then I cannot communicate with them, right? At least not directly communicate. So that you can indirectly communicate, which Facebook still has that option, so that's great. But yeah, you know what? 
I think the bottom line is coming into 2021, if you haven't had the conversation with your agency, you've got to have the conversation with your agency now because so many things have changed. Um, and we're not, we're just talking about data and targeting data, but hell, we haven't even talked about some of the other kind of uh, compliances like HEC. You know, it's like being credit compliant now with it. That's a big hit for us in the automotive industry because yeah. we, we rely on putting the interest rates and payments and, and, and yeah. things like that out there. So th there's a lot has changed for this year. Um, if you're out there, you're watching, listening, you got to have a conversation around your agency. I actually had one more question for you because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at your background right, right now, which I love. I'm a huge uh Mar the marvel universe uh fan and then of course from star wars you know over the holidays um my boys have just kind of gotten to that age where they got star wars um legos for christmas yeah, and then man. i've been able to kind of walk them back through that saga i've been able to kind of go through the saga again uh we got totally hooked on mandalorian and oh, you know love it. i mean yeah. right i mean just actually yeah. i'm gonna be honest with you better than some of the movie pieces they've ever put out I agree. um I agree. but i am so insanely impressed with with disney plus and i'm watching it and how it's working and you know it's like uh, over the holidays they like gifted us a movie you know because we were early on in the platform and i'm just like going wow this is so cool but the data that they're collecting is really something else and i think that there's a, a, there's a lot of opportunity for dealers more so in the States, it, it's developing in Canada, um, but I'm kind of get your thoughts. If you've played or if you talked about kind of, you know, kind of OTT level kind of marketing and data understanding. And because I think that's where our next opportunity, if I was going to, if someone say, hey, look, Jay, our current, you know, digital marketing efforts are going to go, go, go up, up, up. Where's the next sandbox I can go play in that I don't think will take a lot of, it will take longer for everyone to jump into. And I feel like that's OTT. I kind of, I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts on it. Yeah, so uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because we're a huge fan of it from a data perspective for mm -hmm. exactly the reasons that you indicated. Um, OTT and, and for the audience, the dealers and the others listening, OTT or connected TV is the ability to actually display ads in a very, very curated, focused way to a subscriber because of the information that's exchanged in a compliant fashion with the streaming service, uh, the device. Uh, Roku's advertising yep. platform is probably one of the largest in the country from a market share standpoint. But the, you know, Disney Plus, Amazon, all of them have that ability. From a dealer's perspective, we think it's probably one of the greatest areas of uh, opportunity for a dealer. Um, we already see it and we have an, a, a relationship in the RV side of the business that has done exactly that. Because so many of these RV enthusiasts, when they travel in their, their units across the country, they've got, they're streaming to devices, they're using the internet because they don't have a cable connection, et cetera. But those, that, that, that ability to curate a message to an individual and know that it's going very specifically to an audience um, through the OTP connected TV is very, very, very powerful to yes. a dealer. And, and, and I think for a lot of dealers out there, I've, I've actually had this conversation. I'm like, look, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna talk ad spend or budgets yet or creative strategies yet, but it's a discussion and I want you, and I'm pushing my clients to do a little research. Like, the best client, I'm sure for you, the best clients too are the educated client, right? The, the more that they kind of understand, the better that we can kind of engage back and forth and challenge each other back and forth as far as the strategies and the creative that we're putting out there. And um, I, I think that a lot of dealers don't even know they can participate in some yeah. of these OTT platforms. And they are still pretty new. I agree with you. Roku, I think it, like they crushed it. In fact, actually, I think they're probably going to be used. I wish there was more around it. Like, I feel like the I almost want to be a part of the PR department there because I don't feel like they've done a good enough job of identifying the verticals that will actually use it right. and go yeah. and really kind of dive into it because my dealers don't even know. I mean, I, 
I, I could probably talk to 20 dealers and maybe one might necessarily yeah. have some idea of what of what I'm talking about. But I think what's to come over the next few years, like when Disney Plus puts out their marketing product, right? When oh, Netflix Disney Plus is going to have an ad platform. And we all realize oh. that and know that. There's no doubt about it. I mean, so much of their revenue stream that comes in the corporation itself is through um, branding and marketing and merchandising, that type of thing. So uh, the fact that I saw a graphic, or actually I posted a graphic too, on the amount of market share that Disney Plus has grabbed, and then it forecasted where they would go in compared to a Netflix and some of the other streaming services is, is phenomenal. And that's, that's a, I would argue to a dealer that that's an, a great example to use the Disney methodology of merchandising your vehicle to your point about those yes, sites that have 100%. your cars and this and that. The consumers need to interact with the dealer. The dealer needs to control his content, his messaging, and his audience. And I tell you what, you know what excites me even more so is because we're such a large creative department that, you know, it's only taken 10 years for our industry yeah. to under, understand and embrace uh, creative, you know, because it's so easy just to throw an image of a car out there with a $160 biweekly payment and say, oh, it's good enough, you know, and that's not necessarily the case. Like the consumer is going to start demanding better creative better messaging, you know, and then the platforms themselves are going to demand better creative, um, better messaging. So I'm actually excited. I think it's actually, I think the next three or five years, and I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to kind of jam about that. Hell, that could have been an entire podcast actually just on its own. Yeah, yeah. So now, um, so now we have security and now we'll go back to connected TV at some point as well, right? So, then it all, the whole loop kind of starts all over again. Look, I, right. I know, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our time today, Russell, and this, this has been a lot of fun and I'm we got to definitely do this again for sure. Thank you. Uh, Thank hopefully, you. hopefully someday in person. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, the world's changing. I, I think it's going for the better. I'm going to keep a positive outlook. So. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, for everyone out there watching, listening, Russell, and would love to connect with you and kind of follow along with you and your company's journey. You know, what's the best way to do so? Yeah. So the best way to do so um, is our, is our website, which is m1data.com um, and then hashtag m1data.com or I'm sorry, M1 data, um, all of the content on the offerings and the programs and the things that we're working on is there. Um, we'd love to engage with individuals. Um, we do a lot of testing for free and a lot of uh, business visualizations, a lot of case study information. We've got a lot of success with clients that we like to share with other verticals. So we'd love to hear from you and, and just kind of like Jason said, jam about what's all possible with data. We love data. And, and, and I, I love the fact that you're just so approachable. Like we connected online on LinkedIn and it was just like, yeah, man, let's, let's do this. Let's, Go. let's, yeah, do let's this. talk about this stuff. Yeah. I think uh, we actually had to trim our list down, didn't we? We were we, trying we to did. I think we probably had about, like I said, I think there's going to be another part to this for sure, because I think there's just so much more. And then it's actually, this year is going to be so interesting because I find, you know, we're going to go six months into this year. And I just, I just feel that, you know, again, we're going to have this fundamental shift. And in yeah. of course in data and marketing and it's it's just look it's a great time well, to be in the business. Think about the one thing I know we're coming to the end, but think about the one thing when we, we talked about digital uh, fencing um, with lockdowns in the state of exactly. California or the other states varying by state by state on what the regulations are up in Canada as well and what mm -hmm. the uh, regulations there are. But you know, a traditional methodology would have been for somebody that, that uh, sells purple sweaters to target the black sweater company or the green sweater company, <laughs> and that foot traffic's not there right now. So the shift for these brands to capture and engage their website traffic, understand who's visiting their website, how they can best curate the message back to them is going to be key this you, year. You know what? And and that's, look, I hate to identify a silver lining, you know, during times like this, but if there is a silver lining, that's definitely one of them. 
is, you know, as an industry, look, we built these multi-million dollar Taj Mahals, you know, of, yeah. of physical buildings. And, um, you know, not saying all dealers, but a good chunk of our industry has treated the digital version of their dealership in as not nearly as important. In fact, actually probably pretty low on the totem pole. You know, yeah. that's not the case anymore. No. You know, the, the, the consumer now demands a much better digital dealership experience. And, you know, and I actually think, you know, it's funny. I think we come out of this and I think a lot of things could shift in our entry industry. I mean, do we really need to be building, you know, 30, 40 million dollar buildings? Yeah. Do, do we well, we, we both know there's models out there right now that allow you to pop, buy UK, your car online yeah. and have it dropped in your driveway. Right. So. The UK has shown that there's several models in the States that are showing that, um, you know, I, I still like that place where you can go visit. But if you look in the UK, there's small little boutique places. You know, yeah. they're, they're in shopping malls and strip malls and they're, you know, 22,000 square feet or 1,800 square feet, you know, showrooms. That's it. Anyways, that's probably a whole other topic. We could probably do that one another time. But uh, mm -hmm. Russell, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a ton of fun. You have yourself an amazing day. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe.